Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Phil. I'm Honey. I'm Aiden. And this week, we're going to be talking about prayer. But before we get into that, let's do our what happened on this day. So I'm going to kick it over to Hanny. So it is currently the 21st of January, and this marks a really special day in Scotland because it was the birth of Sophia Louisa Jex Blake, a British physician through whose determined efforts Parliament passed legislation to give women the right to have access to a medical education. So essentially, she was one of the first female doctors here, and she championed rights for women to become doctors. She spent years in her own attempt to enroll in the Scottish Medical School. Eventually, she held a license at age 37 and opened a private practice in Scotland the following year. She was the country's first female doctor and succeeded in having a medical school for for women opened in London in 1874. A few years later, she also established one in Edinburgh. She made it possible for women to enter the medical profession to to practice medicine and surgery. Sorry, to forgive my words there. (laughs) Very cool. We love women who have paved the way for other people. Great. So... Like I said, today we're talking about prayer, and we pulled on Aiden because she is basically an expert in all things prayer as far as I'm concerned. Aiden and I have known each other for I don't even know how many years now. Probably at least two, right? Like, at least two. A while. A while. (laughs) And we've had plenty of conversation about prayer and the importance of prayer within the community. So Aiden, I'm going to pass it over to you if you want to tell our listeners more about yourself and your practice. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Aiden. My practice is largely centered around Solomonic magic, the grimoire tradition. I'm just pulling a lot of the ceremonial stuff. I tend to filter, at least right now, through a very folk magical lens. I do a lot of practices based around my area and my ancestry. So I live in the American South and my family, half of it comes from Mexico. So I take a lot of influences from my area, my ancestry, and Solomonic magic, especially the greater key of Solomon. Favorite grimoire, love it to death, can't get enough. And I have a lot of experience with different traditions, dabbled a little bit here and there in pretty much everything at this point. Awesome. Thank you. So before we actually get into like talking more in depth about prayer, I'm curious to know kind of how everybody uses prayer in their own practice. So who wants to start? I mean, I guess I can, I can start. I think we talked a bit about this when we talked about like incense last time. I think it's last time. So for me, basically prayers, almost the entirety of my practice at this point, it's, I don't want to like say it's low effort to try to like cheapen it, but you know, it's readily accessible at any time of the day. And I, you know, I focus a lot on specifically deities that's kind of the crux of my practice so I pretty much I do prayer I pray every day kind of the only thing in my daily practice pray over tea I pray over incense so yeah it's like basically the core of my practice I would say it's pretty much the same for me although that's not really a surprise I guess because we're kind of coming from the same the same sort of um background spiritually I I think the important thing to note note is that anything I do like any um, spiritual practice has always got prayer in it. Like prayer is kind of the beginning and end of that. So it doesn't really matter if I am, you know, making something herbalism wise or if I'm collecting ingredients or if I'm simply doing something devotional, everything kind of starts and ends with prayer. And so I I know that probably some people who are more into maybe modern witchcraft might differ in that way because not everybody finds it as important. But for me as a Hellenic polytheist, it's very important. For me, I find that prayer, like 
Fell and Hani said is that I, it's kind of everything. It's the entire corpus of my practice. I don't think there's like a single part of my practice that doesn't involve prayer because it's so spirit or based. It's so focused around the spirits that there's not really anything else to add at a certain point. Because I feel like all my spell work is prayer. All my devotional practices are prayer. I don't see any reason to not pray. Yeah, prayer to me is very much something where I, it's every ritual we've begun with a prayer to God. Every ritual usually ended with a prayer of thanks. My daily devotionals are prayers where to God, the angels, like creatures of the earth, would to everybody, everything and everybody. They can be both, they can like, all, they can serve a purpose and also be devotional, which is why I think what makes them so useful, especially for me, like I work really heavily with psalm magic and psalms are basically prayers in their own right. So simply being on the train and reciting a prayer or reciting a psalm, excuse me, can be considered a prayer as well. So I think in that regard, I use them pretty heavily in my practice too. And like Aiden said, with spirit work, half of what you do <laughs> is basically praying to the spirits. So you could petition it, sure. But like on the days after you've actually done the spell work and you're kind of just waiting for a candle to burn down or whatever, those are the instances where prayer becomes really, really important. So let's talk about what are some of the earliest known occurrences of prayer. Does anybody have any in mind? When I was doing some early research, basically the consensus was a little under 5,000 years, which makes sense when you think about, that's almost kind of how far back we can kind of start seeing records of spirituality in archaeology. That's not like entirely true, but like records of like writing specific things down because we have records of spirituality like way before then, but records of specifically hymns. Um, this would be the uh, Kesh Temple Hymn, which is from uh, 26,000 BCE. It's in Sumeria, and it's considered the oldest surviving literature in the world. So ancient Mesopotamian religion, that should surprise no one. I feel like a lot of times they win out when it comes to the oldest records on things. Um, so that is kind of considered a, a prayer in the sense because it's um, it's a hymn, essentially, that also goes over a creation myth, but it's written as a form of a hymn. So kind of, honestly, like if you... Like, it's hard to analyze the history of prayer because there's the, just the sheer volume, right? I mean, like, even if you look at the Neolithic things that could be construed as offerings, but we're not sure, is that a form of prayer? I don't know. It's hard to say. So as I mentioned, like, for me, you know, prayer can be very easy. It can be very simple. It can also be very elaborate, but it can also be very simple. So I think prayer is kind of, someone had described it as a human universal culture which means that it's kind of as long as humans have had spirituality, they've had prayer. It might be beneficial for us to actually define prayer then, since it is kind of this all-encompassing thing, at least to have a working definition. So what is prayer? I guess to me what prayer is at its very, very, very core level is communion with the spirits. Prayer has always to me been about that direct line of communication, that direct relational uh discussion conversation with us the spirits with yeah the spirits around us i think that's like the easiest most universal form that we can get at unless obviously you can like give your own definitions but yeah i mean the definition one of the definitions i found is prayer is an invocation or act that seeks to activate a rapport with an object of worship through deliberate communication 
that's just a definition. I'm not sure what our thoughts are on that definition or how do we compare this with something like veneration of spirits or ancestors? Is there a hard line? I kind of said some analyze and compare spells, rituals, charms, and prayer all in kind of a similar vein. So do you see spells, rituals, and charms as elaborate prayers or are there distinct differences? It's interesting because when it comes to like prayer with like veneration of ancestors or even saints, right? I think sometimes... I'm not really sure what you all think of this, but like to me, conversation can also be prayer. When I think about venerating your ancestors, right? I often think of like, and even in my own experience, just like sitting in front of an altar and just talking, like having a conversation about my day, the difficulties of my life. Um, I do that with saints. I do it with ancestors. I do it with kind of any spirit that like was human at one point and can empathize with the position that we are in. Um, and in many ways, that can be considered prayer in its own right, because it is a kind of devotional act, equally asking for assistance with from them, their intercession in your own life. With regards to spells and stuff, <laughs> I prayers can be spells, but I don't think every spell is a prayer. That like distinction is clear. I don't think charms or like mantras and stuff from charms are necessarily prayers. I think there is a distinction. Because to me, sometimes like a mantra is very, and someone can correct me if my thinking is um, incorrect on this, but a mantra is something that you do and say to enter into a trans-like state. To me, it's not devotional. And I think prayer is a very devotional act. So there is a difference in that regard. Yeah, I would say I would agree for the most part. I feel like it depends on the mantra in that case. Because I feel like some definitely can be devotional. But I think certain mantras, like I remember seeing some when I first started entering, there was essentially, again, just repetition to get into that state of being. And I think for the most part, originally, my spells really weren't prayers. But as I went along, they became more prayer-like. I think it really just depends on the background and the tradition, because a lot of the folk magic, spells, works, etc., that I do now are essentially just prayers with elements around them. I'll take the herb in my hand, and I'll bless and consecrate it. And I'll say a prayer almost with the herb is kind of how I like to look at it. Whereas before, I was just kind of, I'd light a candle, i put the plants around it or on it or however it's supposed to be done. And I would say some form of incantation that really wasn't directed towards anything, more just petitioning, being like, make this thing happen. Maybe towards the spirit, maybe towards the universe, TM. It's the context that's in that kind of defines it because... Some charms can definitely be prayers and other charms definitely are not prayers. It's a lot of different in-betweens. Yeah, I think it's quite an interesting question as well. I, I think um, I've had this discussion before and I had to like draw like a Venn diagram to explain it because there's definitely an overlap, but very much as you mentioned, Aidan, it, it sort of depends on the um, cultural context and tradition. I think maybe the main difference I see for, for people who claim that spells are not prayers, the difference is that they consider prayer to be more of a devotional or confessional thing. And maybe that's, I mean, I could be wrong here, but coming from sort of a Christian background where you're not necessarily petitioning quite as much or or asking for intercession quite as much. That's not a hard and fast definition. But I think maybe that's why people don't think there is um, as much of an overlap. Whereas if you look at kind of old folk magic, they would be using things like the Lord's Prayer, for example, in charms, or it's very common to, you know, invoke kind of a spirit. And you could argue that that is a kind of, that, that, that involves prayer um, before you do something like this. So I think there is 
a lot of overlap, but it depends on the the type of prayer. So maybe we can talk a little bit about structure. Yes, I'm actually going to kick this over to Aiden because she has a wonderful guide on kind of the structure of prayer and how to write your own prayers. I'd love to hear you kind of talk about what you think the structure of prayer is and maybe give some tips and tricks on how to how to write your own prayers. The aforementioned PDF, I wrote that a while ago. I'm going to make a new one here soon, but I still hold a lot of like, there's still like a lot of truth in it. The kind of structure that I laid out in there was called the Acts structure, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. And now you don't have to do all four points for a solid prayer. You can do focusing solely on one, though I personally, if I was doing supplication, I would add a little bit of adoration into that personally or Thanksgiving, but I digress. It's a very simple structure and you pretty much are just going to be for adoration. You are giving adoration towards whatever spirit it is or spirits. Like for example, I'm going to use different pantheons for each one to kind of give a full range. So for adoration, let's say, hail unto thee, Horus at thy rising, O beautiful, splendorous Lord who rises upon the east and sets in the west. Thou who is ever changing, yet always the same. Something like that is very good for adoration. So just giving praise, especially like looking into their epithets, looking into their mythology, and essentially pra- praising them for all their glorious traits. Then you go into contrition. Contrition is... It's a complex one, I feel, for non-Christians and especially pagans because contrition has a lot of connotations to concept of sin. I know several traditions don't really jive with that concept, especially like Thelema, for example, where the word sin is restriction is the whole point. But I feel like you can look at it in a different lens where you aren't necessarily saying you're sorry for an arbitrary wrongdoing. You're saying, I am sorrowful for allowing this aspect of myself to harm myself. Like, for example, we'll go to Aphrodite for this, where let's say you struggle a lot with self-esteem and have been doing a lot of negative self-talk. A contritional prayer, I'm not sure that's a word, but a prayer of contrition would be, I am willfully sorry, Aphrodite, for promising to uplift myself and instead tearing myself down, tearing myself apart and only rending myself and harming myself through my words and uh, self-talk towards myself. That could be a prayer of contrition where if you feel less tied to the concept of sin, you could focus more on a, I want to make myself um, better. I want to make this aspect of myself better instead of letting it continue to harm me. Thanksgiving, a good example of this is essentially just every time you do a spell that involves a spirit, I personally think you should give a Thanksgiving prayer because they are doing something on your behalf. So it's just nice to say thanks. It's the polite thing to do. Maybe that's me being raised mostly in the South, but you should definitely say thank you for things. A little bit of interesting point here is that some people like to say their Thanksgiving before they do the petition, which I think is a really good practice to have. It's showing that you are thankful for the things that they have done before, and you are also thankful for what will come afterwards. But an example of this, let's throw it to the saints now. Let's say I work heavily with St. Jude, Sanyu Das. So I would say, thank you, mighty Sanyu Das, for using your special privilege allotted to you in heaven to assist me who feels like a lost cause to raise myself up. Thank you for everything you've given to me in the past. Thank you for the job I have. Thank you for the money that you've brought in for my uh, freelance work. Things like that is 
really good to do, really good to give to those spirits because spirit work to me is not transactional. It's relational. And I think that a lot of people view it as transactional and that harms their relationship with the spirits and also really hinders you from going way deep into spirituality. That's like a whole other conversation. The final point is supplication. Supplication is very simply petitioning. It is asking for assistance. It can also be viewed kind of as miscellaneous in some aspects where it's, these are the extra things that go into it. So if you're like structuring your prayer with the uh, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication, supplication is the final part where you're like, okay, so cool, I ask that you bring great abundance into my life and that you would help me with my garden. You would help my garden grow and flourish. You would help it bloom into the fullness that it can be. And I usually add another Thanksgiving after I do a supplication anyway, so I just about go into that. But that's kind of what it would look like, is you would want to structure it in those ways. And they can really flow into each other. They don't, they're not have to be separate layers. They can be all kind of flowing into each other. They don't have to be in that exact order. Again, my personal thing is I don't like to do supplication before I give thanks or before I give adoration. I like to give something after supplication. So it just think about how you would talk to someone. Would you go up to someone and say, hey, give me $100 and you've never thanked them for anything they've done for you in the past. You just met them, could also be a thing. They're not going to give you $100. Let's say it's your friend and you say, hey, I really appreciate you for all these things you've done for me. I'm in a really tough spot right now. I could really use uh, this $100 and I will give you this as soon as I can, or I can give you this right up front because you're such a good friend. And I really value our relationship. That would be like a good example of supplication in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. I It's also interesting too, because I think you can sometimes double up on parts of that as well. So like, for instance, I have a daily prayer in the morning that gives adoration to God first and foremost. But then after that, I align each prayer and even the aspects of God that are brought out each day are dependent upon the planetary correspondence. So like, the best example I can think of, because it's freshest in my mind, Friday, right? So Friday is ruled by Venus. And so the aspects of God are very much so like, your unfailing and never-ending love, the grace and mercy you've shown to us by giving us your son, Jesus Christ, like all of these things, right, that are about the love that he shows as like children of God. And there's like the adoration of that, but then following also, there's usually an adoration of like the planet. And sometimes even after that, I'll go to like the Olympic spirit. And sometimes I'll after that, I'll, like, I like go down a list of, of spirits of adoration and thanksgiving and all of those things. So it's also possible for you to only have like even one aspect of the prayer but you can like hit multiple spirits as you kind of work your way down i think that's also yeah something that people don't think about like doing you can have a prayer that's not petitioning for anything yeah when you look at a lot of historical like hellenic polytheist prayers or prayers in classical literature a lot of times the structure that kind of arises is selecting the epithets for the entity that you're calling upon because you know you're not going to petition Hermes psychopompus for something that uh, Hermes of the market is going to help you with. So it's important to choose that epithet. And then you kind of tend to say, you know, thanks for that time. You did X, Y, and Z for me. Or like, and then also remember that one time that I burned you incense or I gave you a whole bottle of wine. And then it's kind of like, okay, this is my petition this is what I would like to happen and then kind of a vote of a promise of what you will do in response obviously that's like a very base baseline prayer but when you look at a lot of classical literature it tends to 
structure itself like that. Uh, and it's very helpful for me when I like a lot of times when I pray, I usually just say to so-and-so over whatever it is as like a offering. But if I'm actually doing like a petitional prayer, that tends to be the structure kind of that I follow, which is very similar to the act structure. So um, I'm curious where the act structure doesn't really fit. Like, do you think that there are any models or um, so spiritual systems where it doesn't really um, work? Because I think it's a very good definition, actually. The only thing I would maybe add is that, yeah, not all prayers are necessarily petitional. Like a lot of mine are simply um, thanksgiving, for example, or simply um, kind of adoration. They don't have to um, include the supplication. But as you said, that's kind of extra. But I'm just curious if there are any um, spiritual traditions where it doesn't fit quite as well. I have I have an example, and Aiden, you might disagree with me on this, but I actually think the Acts period doesn't work in like very well in a Goetic, like lesser key Solomonic framework, because in that case there is prayer involved with that. So you obviously pray to God, and then you pray to the ruling angel before you call up the lesser spirits. But especially when it comes to working like with the Goetia or spirits of the Goetia. There really is no prayer to those spirits. Like that would be very unbecoming, I think, of the Solomonic magician. And so in that case, like the Axe framework, I don't think works particularly well. But that's a very tradition specific example. And there are reasons for that. It's because they aren't supposed to be worshipped, right? Yeah, I would say that pretty much you would only, the most you want to go with the Goetic spirit would be Thanksgiving. Because there's a thanks to the spirits, like in the license to the part, you do thank them for their presence. Um, but you, you're not adoring them and you're not really confessing your sins to them. Um, I wouldn't try confessing my sins to like Belphegor or something. Oh, that's <laughs> so <funny. laughs> That'd be so interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I guess you're like going like go well, like Solomonic magician. You wouldn't be really doing adoration or contrition. You would probably give the Thanksgiving and the supplica- supplication, obviously. But yeah, that's a good example of like if you're working with lesser spirits who aren't meant to be adored in whatever tradition you're not going to be giving them adoration you're not going to be giving them contrition so it's like examples like that i think that is a good example of one specific one but it does kind of apply to other systems like that like yeah i guess you wouldn't really be giving adoration to i forget what they're called there's like certain mashika spirits that like are very they're very galetic in some ways when i think about them but yeah, you wouldn't be giving like adoration to them, but you might petition them kind of like with the def- fix where you'd like be petitioning a underworld spirit, but you necessarily wouldn't necessarily be giving worship to it. That could be an example. Even like I think of the, like the Shem angels, for example, right? They're, they're a zodiacal spirit that isn't necessarily attached to any kind of like hierarchy. And so in that case, I don't necessarily think the adoration is really a necessarily appropriate to least Shem Angel specifically I think of course you can do an act of Thanksgiving um and you would be supplicating like asking for them to help with something but I think it also doesn't really apply there because they're more of a mathematical construct really than they are a spiritual one but yeah I definitely think it's a good framework yeah I mean you could definitely take out different parts that are necessary for different things but I think overall those four kind of hit the most key points of prayers like even if you aren't just even if you aren't doing all of them for every single thing. It's like a good collection of prayers, essentially a collection of methods and modalities to pray with. I'm trying to think of like any situations where none of them apply at all. If anyone can think of one, let me know. I'd like to like have that conversation. I mean, I guess, how do you think they would apply in nonverbal prayers? I mean, I guess in that sense, like dance prayers. I mean, I guess in that sense, it's kind of an internal thing. 
I mean, it also probably in dance prayers, it wouldn't necessarily be following that structure. I mean, I could see, you know, it could dance prayers can be a form of contrition or adoration or even supplication. And of course, Thanksgiving. But I don't think, yeah, it wouldn't have like that neat structure. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I actually have a lot of thoughts about dance prayer. I saw that in the in the little document. I was thinking about that today in the shower. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I do I do I do do a lot of dance prayer. Um, I've been doing it for a while. I've been learning more about like more traditional dances, mostly the tribe that my family comes from. The way that I see dance prayer, at least in my experiences with it, is that it's it still has like certain aspects of the act structure, but doesn't really like formalize it it kind of is a lot more flowy it's a lot more water-like i guess is a good way to put it i tend to like do it whenever i do dance i tend to do it as a invocation a inviting of the spirit into my space to dance with me to be a part of that prayer that act of veneration that act of worship in some cases i tend to invite them in and let them be with me in my space and it's kind of adoration, I think, is the closest point it would be. I haven't really tried supplication with it because I do it more as a purely devotional thing without petitioning in mind. And Thanksgiving, yeah. Adoration and Thanksgiving are probably going to be the two big ones that I've experienced with that. I have not participated in this ritual, but I've read about it from various sources and talked to some people who have. The Sundance of the Ogalasu people, that would be kind of a adoration supplication type working that also has a lot of other ritual elements to it too i even think like when we talk about beltane right or when like you're dancing around like a maypole or like a bonfire with the different sabbats sabbats wow sorry i can't english um (laughs) those are also a form of like kind of active prayer this like dancing prayer right where there it is intended to celebrate coming of the different solstices and also with celebration typically of a particular goddess um, is associated with each one god or goddess and so i think you also have it there but in, and again very similar to what you were saying it's it's really more of the adoration and like the thanksgiving aspect than it is any kind of supplicate supplication although that is there because there are plenty of people who in that that process of like dancing on the maple or like the fire it's also a asking for a good like entrance into the new cycle of the year right yeah not called prayer but I think it's very similar to it yeah I mean I guess the other thing is that I don't think that you need to supplicate in a prayer immediately for there to be some kind of expectation of benefit and I don't mean that in a kind of transactional way but I mean um, realistically people it's kind of practicing spirituality many years ago they might have been worshiping because they believed that there, there would be a benefit to that worship and that's not saying um, I'm asking for this right now but oh my sustained relationship with this deity will bring us long-term fortune will make sure the harvest comes will make sure that we um, are bountiful for this coming season so it doesn't necessarily have to be supplication in the moment for it to overall be a sort of mutual relationship I guess. A good way that I like to look at it is from the uh, Mashika perspective I honestly think that everyone should study different tribes but specifically the one that the traditions of Mashika people that my family comes from it really shows that our whole mythos is about the relationship between us and the Teot the gods essentially the spirits the energies however you want to translate that word and how they gave us this thing so we give this thing back and it's just a constant cycle of reciprocity 
I think it's how you pronounce that word. Very, very simply and very obvious example that is used within that tradition is we believe that the Teot gave their blood so that we could live. And so that's why the sacrifices were done. That's why blood was given back to them, back to the earth, back to the to the sun, back to the dead, all these different spirits, so that they could continue to live part of that too. And so that we can show our thanks for the things that they've given us. Because it's funny, when I was like reading reading and listening to the myths, it was funny because it would be like, people were just so useless <laughs> for most of this time. Well, it's true because like, the whole point is that they gave us all these things so that we could live and so that we could actually live in a world that was habitable. And so it's our job to give back to them, which makes a lot of sense. And I feel like mirrors a lot of other early civilizations where these spirits would be providing people different opportunities, different things that they would need. Like a lot of the early spirits are all agriculturally based, all fertility based, focused on those very essential base needs. So they would, so people would need to be constantly working with these spirits so that they could continue to live. And that would later develop into larger and larger constructs to the point that we have today, where a lot of the spirits are more transcendental. A lot of spirits we interact with are a lot more transcendental in nature, but still, it's still achieving certain base needs. Like I personally feel that a lot of people need a sort of higher purpose. It doesn't need to necessarily be theism because I know some people generally don't feel drawn to theism, but they need a sense of higher purpose. And a lot of spirits provide that same higher purpose to this day. It's so fascinating to me how so many early cultures from like completely different parts of the world have a very similar idea of reciprocity like in hellenism there's the idea of charis which just basically translates to reciprocity and it's that same idea of where it's so hard to explain the difference between reciprocity and transactionalism because it's like when i pray in thanksgiving and make an offering without a supplication i'm feeding that relationship because it's like you know someone is more it's kind of like the example you gave earlier aiden it's like you know, if I go up to a stranger on the street and I ask them for $100, they're not likely to give it to me. But if I go up to a friend, they would be more likely to loan me $100. So, so the idea kind of is similar where it's very relational, which is why, yeah, you know, you're kind of supposed to build up a personal relationship with with various uh, entities or deities i don't know how would you explain so like when i explain to people how like chorus works where it's kind of like i give so you might give so if i give zeus an offering and i'm like hey zeus can you make it rain please because it's very dry so how would you describe the difference between something like reciprocity like i give so you might give versus like something being transactional because i think sometimes it's hard to explain to people like why that's not exactly transactional, even though it sounds transactional. I think it is. Be- I think it's different because you're building a relationship. You're actually trying to engage with the spirit beyond just, hey, I want this right now. You're going to give it to me right now. And that's an interesting thing is that a lot of people have described certain like new traditions, really with uh, La Santa Muerte, I described it as purely transactional, but every single practitioner I've talked to has talked about how so not transactional it is, even though it's on the surface very transactional because it is just reciprocity. It is, I'm giving you this so that later I may receive this. It's this constant giving and taking between each of you. It's not a, I'm only taking, 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 never giving back. And 
I think, honestly, a lot of it is that people need to kind of get over the hurdle of sometimes you need things in your life and these spirits are willing to provide that. And they, in the most traditions that I've experienced, the spirits are willing to give to you, barring Goetia, but <laughs> these spirits are willing to give to you. That's kind of like with the Olympic spirits is a great example of this. If I recall, it literally says that they are so at the ready to help people that they are like begging to assist you because a lot of these spirits are are so close to humanity they are so close to that they want to help us and they desire that relationship with us too and that that relationship is important to them just as it is important to us because i feel like we often get lost in the mindset of oh these gods are so lofty and high or these spirits are so lofty and high that they can't possibly want anything from me but i feel like genuinely there are definitely cases where spirits do want to interact with us they do have a care for us like even if they might not have a need necessarily for us they still have that want for us they have that want to interact with us and i feel this especially with ancestors with saints with other elevated human spirits they definitely want that relationship with us um i can definitely say this from my traditions that i've practiced um pretty much every single interpretation of the Virgin Mother of Mary. She's always like, let me help you. Let me speak to you. Let me into your life. I will go through any direction necessary to talk to you. And I feel like it's the case with a lot of different spirits. I've noticed that with various mother spirits, I'm not using that in the Victorian archetype, don't worry, Val. <laughs> but various spirits who are called mothers who are referred to as other in different traditions that i work they're always like very willing and ready to help you so i feel like it's, there's a lot of cases where the relationship is more than just our perception of it and there is a genuine spiritual reach back towards us i often hear a distinction like within the modern witchcraft community where people will say if i'm working with like a god a deity a god or goddess um, or a deity it's more that reciprocity aspect, but if it's spirit work, it's more of a transaction. What I think is often missed in that simplification is that the spirits will also provide for you. So like I know personally, a lot of my relationships started as transactional, very like I called to it because I need next thing. Um, but over time, as the relationship grew, it very much so became where the spirits would begin acting on my behalf without my even asking. There have been a lot of instances where, you know, I'm planning to do a working to improve something or to ask for something. And, you know, days before I actually do it, it's like already starting to be done. I'm kind of just sitting here like that's, I haven't done anything yet. Then you'll do divination or like I'll call them from the scrying mirror and be like, hey, this thing's happening. Like, what's up? Like, oh, yeah, we already started it for you. I was like, oh, great. Like, thank you. And and very much so like what Aiden said, there are spirits who yearn to work with humanity, especially like within the Abrahamic traditions. There's this idea, right, that humans have the spark of God. And so when spirits recognize that in you, they are they really want to engage with you in that aspect because in in that way, they're also engaging with their creator. I think that's very true with like most terrestrial spirits, especially the elementals. They love working with you. They will come at your beck and call. They can be a little rascals at times, but like they're, they're good spirits. They have the best intentions. The elementals are like that. The Olympic spirits are also like that. Like Aiden was saying, they will come when you call. I mean, one of the things I think sets the Olympic spirits apart from a lot of the others is that they are 
like in the Avatar specifically, it says that you have to, like, you say the prayer and they will come. There's not this, like, constant repetitive, like, trying to drag you up from the depths of hell like you would with Goetia sometimes. And so there are spirits that really do want to interact with you, like, very, very heavily because they see something in you. Yeah, fully agree with that. Very quickly, that just reminded me of one of my daily prayers where in it, it said... God said, those who just me with prayer will be heard. I will defend you, although you do not ask. Favorite line ever in any prayer. So, you know, all this, you know, we talked a bit about the, well, not a bit. We talked quite a bit about, <laughs> quite a lot about the act structure, structure. And we talked, kind of touched on dance prayer. So, of course, you know, culture is not monolithic and types of prayer can vary. I think it could be kind of interesting to talk a, a bit more extensively about what kind of variations of prayer we see across cultures. I know, for example, in Hellenism, you see a distinction between if your arms are facing up versus facing down. Down would be more for chthonic entities, up would be for oranic entities or heavenly entities. And you also see in that case, like kneeling versus standing, like in certain chthonic prayers, you hear examples of people like beating the earth with their hands. So uh, what other, I guess, examples of different types uh, cross culture that you see with prayers or prayer formats? I think a lot of the active prayers are the ones that fascinate me the most. I see this a lot, really all over the world. Like I was going to say like only in certain areas. I'm like, no, this is like all over the world, actually. Different variations of active prayers, like even beyond just dancing. Like you mentioned like the kneeling and hitting the ground, like different ways that you interact with the environment is so fascinating to me. And I think that really like helps make it more tangible almost, I guess is the best way to put it. Like it makes your prayer feel so much more tangible. I think they're technically Thelemic. It's like a offshoot of the OTO that isn't really affiliated at all with the OTO and only focuses on Babylon. Temple Abyssi. I remember reading a couple of their workings and one of them was called the mirror work, where essentially you were focusing on the mirror on yourself in the mirror and you were describing every single aspect of your face back to you and also kind of like doing a lot of work to focus on lifting it up instead of dragging it down and also adding a spiritual aspect to it where you are a reflection of Babylon. You're a reflection of the mother, essentially. And I've seen that in a couple other traditions, mainly Thelemic and Golden Dawn stuff, where they compare, not compare, transform the mundane body into the body of different spirits um, assuming the god form some some aspects of that are put into here but i remember seeing one where they would essentially massage each part of the body and repeat a prayer to that spirit whose aspect is within that part of the body there's a lot of different like aspects of it that i find really interesting using things like incense using candles is very commonplace in so many parts of the world i mean like i don't think there's a single culture that doesn't have like you lighting a candle and saying a prayer to some spirit in some regard. Like, there's so many different traditions that use that. It's all done in so many different ways, like what type of candle, what size candle, where the candle's placed in the household or the altar. I think a lot about um, the different ways that people interact with a lot of the folk saints. Like, I think especially about Santa Muerte, San La Muerte, Jesus Malaverde, all the different saints and the way that people interact with them and it, it draws on so many different cultures that come from those places. The act of going of going to different shrines as a form of prayer, where I know a lot of people will go to certain Santa Muerte shrines, where they'll start out walking, 
but as they get closer and closer like i think there's like depending on like how big the need is some people will go a full mile walking on their knees just like to have their petition heard it's a full it's still a devotion to me like it's still a prayer to me where you are doing this act of lowering yourself and humbling yourself before this uh spirit it just changes the whole perspective of prayer for me i feel because i feel like a lot of people just kind of see prayer as our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name and like there's so much more you can add to it singing as a prayer we mentioned hymns a couple times hymns are so important to so many different cultures and the act of song and dance together i think at least for me is so it just makes everything kind of click immediately. There's this one hymn that I've memorized. It's a hymn to Tonantzin. She's essentially the one of the mothers of the earth. She represents, very simply, is the earth in many aspects, is the flowering earth, is the living earth. That prayer is used a lot in combination with dance. I've seen people combine it with so many different other... I've literally heard electronic remixes of it. It's so integral that form of praying through song and the different tonalities of it change the way the meaning of the song change the way that it's perceived like i've heard very like sorrowful versions of it and i've heard very like lively very uh active very energetic versions of it and it just changes how that prayer is perceived to that spirit it's just so fascinating like the little details within that um, I think some of the key cultural differences, I guess, because I think what you mentioned is really is really important. Like there's even when we see differences across cultures, there's there's still kind of a core a structure that goes along with everything. I think some of the the real differences, though, maybe a use of idols, which can be quite taboo in some traditions, but in others might be quite important as a sort of um, a modality through which to interact with the deity. Um, or even a, an ensouled idol, for example, or maybe even use of offerings. Although you raise a really valid point that a candle itself can count as an offering, because I think maybe when people think of offerings, they think of you know offering food, offering you know flowers, or something something physical. But you could argue that even in you know Protestant Christianity, lighting a candle is sort of a a little form of an offering. It's something to connect you with that spirit. So there's still quite a lot of core tenets, even when the differences are there. What would you say the importance of cleansing is? Do you think that that's universal? It's very important in Hellenism, but maybe not so much elsewhere. I never like to do prayers without taking at least a shower first or washing my hands. If I haven't showered that day, I will not do my prayers yet. So I feel like I feel like there needs to be a sense of cleanliness before the spirits. Like I'll do certain um, without uh washing my hands or bathing but i mean there's a lot of things i need to at least for myself feel the need to be cleansed for i often regarding like cleaning yourself it's there's something jack grill said when i was taking the pgm course well i still am taking the pgm course with him which is that when we speak a prayer or something the air comes from us right and so even like your mouth not like not having brushed your teeth in the morning and offering your prayer could be considered um like rude <laughs> to the spirits that you're talking to because i think very much in the same way like cleansing is important kind of regardless necessarily of your tradition but like specifically in the western esoteric world um this idea of offering prayer from supplicant who is ritually pure is really important so for i know for me yeah i like with aiden taking a shower beforehand at the very least i will almost always brush my teeth and 
I usually will wash my hands in holy water just so that those are also clean, but definitely prefer, prefer taking a shower first so that and like washing with hyssop and all of all of that stuff is, is very, very important. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. It's all good. That's pretty much. Yeah. I feel like there needs, you need to be like very clean before approaching the spirits. Whenever I do my cleansings, I like to pray with it. Psalm 51. Amazing. Love it. Perfect uh-huh. for showers, for baths. If you aren't doing a full Solomonic bath, I would do any kind of prayer for that, like tradition might be. Whenever I'm going to do tarot, I always wash my hands and say a prayer to essentially like help my hands work what needs to be worked and to help them be unclouded and unbiased. I do like a bunch of different little prayers for cleansing, depending on what I might need. Whenever I brush my teeth, I cleanse my teeth so that it, so my, I cleanse my mouth. So that whatever I say, may be true so everything i say is truly what i feel truly how i believe it to be and just things like that little things go such a long way sometimes whenever i pray it's not really directed to any one spirit it's kind of directed to the all to the fullness of god the monad however you want to describe it if you're out in public so this is something that i actually have done before and i currently have in my car I have hand sanitizer with holy water in it that I use before I, if it's like needs to be a really intense prayer or something like something's really going wrong, I will use that to clean my hands prior to praying. It was super easy to make and it is in my car all the time. So there are ways you can like get around even doing it when you're out and about. I also think too, it's important to remember that prayer is not just something that's like done during a time of like a ritual or whatnot, you know, like plenty of people have prayed on like the battlefield while they're bleeding out or while they're covered in dirt and grime there's definitely a place for prayer to be more ritualized and more kind of like you know want to cleanse yourself I mean obviously like you're not going to be out here right like you're I don't think you're going to be doing like ceremonial magic in the trenches (laughs) I mean maybe you are I don't think you are though yeah I think there's also some forms of prayer are more, I don't want to say like desperation based, but it's a very, it can be very deeply visceral. I think the spirits can distinguish, right? Between like, I am praying out of an absolute likeness. Like you, I need you to hear me because, and there's nothing I can do to like fix my situation that I'm in. And I'm praying to you out of this like desperate need versus a period where like you would have access to things to become more ritually pure before you engage in it. Like, Spirits aren't dumb. Um, I think they can often, they can like tell that kind of difference and they'll intercede on your behalf if you pray to them sincerely. And with a contrite heart, as the cave Solomon likes to put it. <laughs> okay, I need to hear this about writing a story, doing magic in the trenches. Are we over here doing like Trithemius or something? Uh, it's mostly, I was looking at a lot of the pentacles of Solomon, so like the Mars ones, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was like, that'd be an interesting story to write. Is like, what if there was a Solomonic practitioner on the battlefield? How would they engage with that? I thought a lot about that. And I'm going to eventually write it down as a short story, maybe a longer than short story. So what occult practices do we think prayer is especially relevant in? For example... Um- I guess this is more of a general question before we get to this specific topic, but a lot of times within the occult and pagan community, we see people that are afraid of prayer. They don't want to engage in prayer. They are like, this is not something that I feel like we need, I need to do. It's, it's this remnant of Christianity. Why do you think people are scared of it? And then how do you think we can best reintroduce prayer to people without like the negative connotation that it holds because of uh, religion? 
I had this conversation so, 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 so frequently. I feel like a lot of people have been like kind of frightened off from prayer because of uh, the dogmatism found in certain Christian sects and certain Christian churches that a lot of people feel like prayer is just this thing they do. I, my friend's about to come over, but I'm going to slander her a little bit here. I remember she was talking the other day about how whenever you pray to God, specifically the Christian God, TM Adonai, whenever you pray to him, he doesn't hear you. He doesn't listen to you. He doesn't talk back to you, which just struck me as so confusing and wrong and incorrect. And like, there are whole spiritual traditions built up around prayer to God, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. I like, I think a lot of people just don't see those practices though, which is really sad because they're all over the place. Like even outside ceremonial magic, a lot of American folk magic, Mexican folk magic, the magic of uh, the world really, the, the Christian and Catholic world is so filled with just prayer to these different spirits and appealing to all of them. Well, and even, even outside of that, like I look at the PGM where you have like the prayer to Selene and to the Helios, the right of like prayer to Selene and Helios. Even like within the Arabic tradition, it's a little bit different, but like within Jinn magic, I have a couple of Arabic friends who are doing a bunch of translations and stuff and they'll, they'll share things and like, the the prayers are there to like the jinn and you know they have to repeat it granted like 300 times or something ridiculous but like even they're praying to the jinn like it is it's a common thing in so many different traditions and places around the world where that and that's why sometimes i i when people say oh i'm scared to pray it's oftentimes a conversation of are you scared to pray because it's something that like doesn't mesh well within your tradition or are you scared to pray because there's like some religious trauma that we haven't addressed yet that maybe it would be beneficial talking to a professional about um, and trying to like figure out what is at the core of that that fear specifically. That's usually what the big thing for me is that a lot of people tend to just, it's the Christian trauma or cultural Christian trauma because I found that to be a very big thing is that the cultural collective, even if you weren't raised Christian, you had the Christian sensibilities. I think that's like a big thing that a lot of people just don't aren't able to reconcile in some ways i've talked to a lot of people about it and some people have just said i just prefer to not call it prayer like i will do everything like every single aspect of prayer i just don't want to call it prayer because personally it's not something i can reconcile yet which i think part of it it's a little frustrating but i can also completely understand it because there is that aspect of some people can't can't reconcile it quite yet for themselves and it's their own journey they have to go on but i think part of what we can do to help that is have conversations like this where we're talking about the cultural diversity of prayer how it goes beyond even just christianity and it's not it's definitely not a christian invention certainly not a christian invention by any regards i think a really good way to look at this is to just study the world and look beyond the christian world i mean if you look into shintoism the way that prayers are structured there, the way that ritual in general is structured is so different than the Western esoteric tradition, Christianity. The traditions found in Japan have always been so fascinating to me. I always grew up with a lot of Japanese media, so I have kind of been exposed a lot to it. Just like the various syncretisms, Buddhism and Shinto, and other indigenous practices to Japan. It's just, you won't ever look at that like, going to Sunday mass, but it's all, it's, it's still all prayer. It's still all communion with the spirits, communion with the divine, communion with Kami. It's understanding all these different spirits, but through the modality of prayer. And 
I just think there needs to be more study, more talking, more discussion of prayer outside of our Father who art in heaven, you know? So one final question to kind of close us out, um, and this will lead us into our final thoughts. Do you think that you need to be religious to pray? Then do you think that prayer relies upon belief or can you pray without believing? Hmm. That's really, that's such an interesting question. Prayer without belief. I want to say maybe. It's, I like trying to think about it. There's so many different thoughts that go on in my head about it because on the one hand, why would you talk to someone you don't believe in? But on the other hand, if you're, let's say you are newly atheist or raised atheist or just non-theistic in general, agnostic perhaps, and you just don't know what's out there. You aren't sure if you fully believe in something, but you want to give it a try. I guess you could also use a friendship relationship where like this, where it's like you see someone in your class and you're like, they seem like a really cool person, but I don't know them at all. I know nothing about them. I can maybe talk to some of their friends or go on their Instagram, but I don't actually know them. So you might approach them one day and say, hey, this is my name. I don't really know you. You seem really cool, though, and we should talk sometime. That could be like a good example of that, like a good analogy of that, where you may not fully believe in a spirit, but you might want to reach out. So I know plenty of people who have kind of not really had a faith, but been like, hey, whoever's out there, send me a sign. I remember as a camp out one time and this one person told me, yeah, I fully believe there's something out there. No clue who or what, but I remember praying one time at this one wall we have there and immediately a shooting star passed by. So I think that's a really good jumping off point for some people. And I think some people who do lack that belief can still benefit from prayer. Even if they don't fully believe in something, they can discover something. They can discover that there's something out there for them that's watching after them, even if they don't have a name tied to it. I think as well for some people, prayer can act as an important space for self-reflection. So it's not necessarily something, even if you don't necessarily believe, firstly, the actual orthopraxy, the fact that you're doing it and you're showing up and you're you're actually just doing the actions um, can be important to certain traditions. And But secondly, it can be an important space for you yourself to reflect, even if you're not quite sure whether you're having kind of any, any kind of reciprocity there. Um, I have noticed that in certain strains of sort of more modern spirituality, there's a very big focus on personal power. And I think sometimes when people feel that they, they're they praying, they're actually giving that power away or they're deflecting it somehow. And I don't necessarily think that that has to be the case, but I can also see where that reluctance comes from. But I do also think that prayer, um, paradoxically, can be quite empowering. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to diminish yourself necessarily in order to to gain that reciprocal relationship so yeah I guess that's my my thoughts on why people are scared of prayer as well no I I I don't think that you have to be religious in order to pray I will say however that I think it is more effective to be religious when you pray I think as with anything having a devotional or even just relationship with whatever you are praying to will oftentimes help bring kind of whatever you're petitioning or even just the relationship to fruition. This is kind of why I take some issue when people do treat any every interaction with like a deity or a spirit as very transactional um, because I think it misses the point of like 
you can pray and ask for said thing, but like if you don't have a relationship or you're not religious or you don't believe in that spirit, I don't think it's going to work as well as if you were. This is, I know Jason Miller says something along those lines of like, whatever you believe doesn't matter, just like do it and it'll work. And I think there's a level of truth to that, but I also think that adding this devotional religious aspect with belief will heighten your the effectiveness of your prayer. Yeah, I think when we get into belief, that's that's a complicated subject <laughs> in and of itself. But I definitely don't think that you have to believe or even be religious. But I certainly think it helps with the efficacy of the result. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, as again, it goes back to that sort of reciprocity in the relationship that you develop with the entity. I mean, you can certainly have stuff happen by praying out to the universe or whatever's out there. But I think it's definitely more effective if you have like a praxis. All right. Well, that concludes the show for today. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Aiden, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. If you haven't already, you can follow us on Instagram. We post all of our episode releases and some hints to upcoming episodes on there. And if you haven't, we um, also have a Discord where I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably do a journal club relating to some scientific information that we gathered on prayer that we didn't include in this episode. Feel free to join the Discord and um, pop in on that conversation as well. It should be really really interesting. But until then, we'll see you guys, guys and gals, and everything in between next week. All right. Bye, everybody.